Well, good evening. It's good to see you once again as we have opportunity to worship our God together. We have opportunities to praise Him in song as we've done, to approach Him in prayer as we have done as well, and now to open up His Word and to study from it. We're going to spend a few minutes tonight, both myself and John here in just a moment, and talk about, I don't know, kind of the best classification for it. I want to put maybe Bible study technique. I don't know if that necessarily is the best spot for it. And the reason I say that is because I think it's something that God has placed within his book to help us. And you might say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. When we think about the Old Testament, and we study from the Old Testament, and, and certainly it contains the law of Moses, and we make the point, and rightly so, that that law, although the people of God, the Israelites, during that time were, were bound to that law, were to keep that law, that, that's not a law for us to keep today. That that law was crucified, it was nailed to the cross with Christ. He brought a new law, this law of Christ. And we make that point, and we do so rightly. And sometimes when we begin to think that way, we lose sight of all of the incredible benefits that we gain from the Old Testament. There are so many different things in studying the Old Testament, whether it's just the simple character studies that you are able to see positive things to emulate or to follow example, negative things to stay away from. We certainly learn about God, who he is, what he's all about. We learn about sin, what sin is, what it's all about. I mean, we learn all of those things, but there is so much more because God in his power, really, was able to put together a book that we have now thousands of years later, we benefit from in ways that even the people at the time that it was written were not able to benefit from. And so we have passages in the New Testament that make reference to uh, the significance of studying from the Old Testament, like Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, where the Apostle Paul will say, whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patient and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That it was written, there is something to be gained. There is something to learn from. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, another example of that. All of these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition of whom the ends of the ages have come. So we have them for our benefit. There's something to learn as we study through the pages of the Old Testament. So among those things to benefit and to learn from are what we'll call for tonight in our study together types and shadows, types and shadows. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about what types and shadows are, and then John is going to give a very specific example of one such use of types and shadows. Maybe you've heard this uh, reference uh, over and over. We're going to define it here in just a, just a moment. But it, it basically is something that we see in the Old Testament that resembles something that we see in the New Testament, that there is a resemblance. It is like that thing. It is a type or it is a shadow. So let's help ourselves out a little bit with definition. So defini- definition of shadow, reflection, a glimpse, an outline, a pattern. If we think about type, a prefiguring of something future from itself. 
And so when we start to think about types and shadows and we start to look for those things on the pages of the Old Testament that we can correlate in the pages of the New Testament, in order for there to be a type or a shadow, there must be some resemblance between the type in the Old Testament, the anti-type in the New, or the shadow in the Old Testament, the substance in the New. There must be some resemblance. So how many of those are there in Scripture? How many types and shadows are there in the Old Testament? Well, I'll give you an answer for that. I really don't know. But I will say it is bunches. It is a lot. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think one of the biggest reasons, and one that we're going to kind of pinpoint on a little bit tonight, is the reason that you have so many of these kinds of things that God provides us with is it is a way for God to help us understand something that we need to understand. In a lot of ways, it's as simple as that. When we start to think about types and shadows and we start to see the antitypes or the substance of those things in the pages of the New Testament, as we'll reference tonight, those men and women at the time of the Old Testament and they're living in the, the face of that type or the face of that shadow, which in essence is just a, a, a resemblance or a pattern of, of something that will be more significant in the pages of the New Testament. They're not understanding that in any way. They're there. They're living in the moment. But now, as we are thousands of years later, the complete Bible that we have in front of us and in our laps, God is, he has done that so many times to help us, to help us understand something that he wants us to understand. It is in order to help us, to make it easy for us to understand. Now, there's a couple of things I want to talk about specifically when we think about this idea. Even though I don't know how many necessarily there are in total, and I've made reference that there are a lot of types and shadows in the Old Testament, it's important to remember that not everything is. Not everything is a type or a shadow. In no way are we to find ourselves in a position to force something like this. There's got to be some evidence that that type or that shadow was designed and appointed by God to represent that thing typified. We can't conjure up things. When we begin conjuring up things, we begin imagining things, we are sidestepping or we are stepping on or over, if you will, the authority of Scripture. Because what I want us to see and what I want us to understand is that when we are digging out these types and shadows, and certainly the one that John is going to talk to us about here in just a moment, they are generally very easy to see and easy to find, often referenced specifically. Let me give you a couple examples of that. In the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. And so now we have a direct link, a direct mention of the fact that this was a shadow of things to come. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, 
and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Those sacrifices that were, were given in the times of the Old Testament were just a shadow of the sacrifice that Christ makes. They are resembling, but they are different. But yet here we are able to know that we're dealing with shadows or we're dealing with types because it makes reference specifically. Another example, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle for he says, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So you have all these words, shadow, you have pattern, you have copy, you have all of these things which helps us to see that what we're seeing in the Old Testament is a resemblance of something that we will find in the New Testament. And we're able to make those correlations, we're able to make those correlations, and it, it puts us in a position to understand better. And ultimately, that's the key. Sometimes when I think about our Bible study, you know, we, we pick up a book, whether it's you know, a book that you have in your lap or you have transitioned completely over to electronic. It's a little harder to feel if that's the case, but if you have a paper Bible in your lap, as I do, and as I've made mention several, several months ago, as my eyes are beginning to age, I have changed to a little bit bigger Bible than I used to use. It is a large book. It's a big book. And it's got a lot of pages, and it's got a lot of words. And I think what we are apt to do, and I think wrongly, the temptation is to convince ourselves that this is a book that I cannot grab hold of. Or it is a book that I cannot follow. Or it is a book that I cannot understand. I'm not saying there are not challenging passages. There are. But we have to really grasp that the question, what kind of God would give us a book that is difficult or impossible to follow or to understand? How cruel of a God would he have to be to do that? Well, we know that's not the God that we serve, the God that we follow. He loves with all love. He has all power. He has all knowledge. He has all wisdom. And so he has provided us something that we can understand. And one of the biggest things that helps, especially when we're making transitions from Old Testament to New Testament, is we can study about something in the pages of the Old Testament. It correlates to something that we read about in the New Testament. And an understanding of that thing in the Old Testament helps us to understand what we're seeing in the New Testament. It works that way because God designed it that way. It works that way because he wants us to grab hold of it. And when we think about these kinds of things, and we may deal in the future with a few more types and shadows types of things, But I want us to see that. And as John is getting ready to come up here, I want you to understand that what we see from the outset of something that happens in the Old Testament, an event that we're familiar with, 
but an understanding of that event, the impact that it can have for us on the thing that we'll talk about in the pages of the New Testament. That is the love of God. That is his power. And so you can be opening your Bible to the book of Exodus, and John will come up and give us a good example of that. Exodus chapter 12, to be exact. As Jeremy pointed out, one of the beauties of studying the Bible and utilizing this tactic of looking for types and shadows in the Old Testament is that it can actually help deepen our understanding of what we're going to look at in the New Testament. And that is the case when we look at the Passover as the shadow or the type in the Old Testament And then the equivalent of that in the New Testament being the Lord's Supper. And I I hope as we look at this in a very brief manner this evening, what we'll recognize is that by deepening our knowledge and our understanding of the Passover, we will in turn deepen our knowledge and understanding of what the Lord wants us to get from the Lord's Supper when we assemble together on the first day of the week to commune with him. And this particular type or shadow is made very clear to us, because as we'll see in just a moment when we turn over to the pages of the New Testament, as Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, he does so during Passover, at the Passover meal, uh, explicitly referencing the tradition that the Jews had continued on since the time of Exodus chapter 12. But we're going to look at some of the connections that we can make between these two significant events, and hopefully in doing so, help deepen our appreciation of what we do every first day of the week when we assemble together as Christians and break bread together. So first, I want to look at the type. And I want to talk, uh, just, I want to give you three things that are going to correlate to the Lord's Supper when we get into the pages of the New Testament. I want to look at what the Passover was and what it was intended to do. And so just real briefly to set the stage, most of you probably know the story, but the people of Israel have been enslaved in Egypt. And Moses has come at the direction of God to lead the people out of Egyptian bondage. And we know the story of the ten plagues as they unfold, as Pharaoh stubbornly refuses to let the people go. And it's the tenth plague that comes, the death of the firstborn, that ultimately allows the people of Israel to leave and to move towards the promised land. And it's at the time of that tenth plague that God institutes the Passover, a feast that the people will continue to observe for generations and generations to come. So we're not going to read the entirety of this story that is found here, but I do want to point out just a few things here from Exodus chapter 12 as we talk specifically about the Passover. And the first one is a very simple one. The Passover was intended to to be a reminder of their exodus from bondage. That's what the Passover was to these people. This was the night, this was the time in which God freed them from Egyptian bondage. That they get to leave captivity and they get to move towards the promised land and for generations and generations to come as they partake in this Passover feast, it is a reminder to them of the exodus from Egyptian bondage that they got to experience as a people. And what a wonderful reminder that is. When you look into the pages of the New Testament, 
and we think about the Lord's Supper and what it does for us. Look in Matthew chapter 26. As Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, again, during Passover, with the Passover feast, he now is going to take the bread and take the cup. And listen to what he says in verse number 27. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Do you see the similarity? As you and I take the Lord's Supper today, it represents the blood that Jesus shed to free us from the bondage of sin. He shed this blood so that we could have the remission of sins. In the same way that the blood of that lamb that was put over the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over and spare the people from death. It's it's that same reminder to those people that they were spared the death that the rest of the Egyptians had to suffer. And now in the pages of the New Testament as Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, we see his blood doing the very same thing for us. It frees us of our sin, and it spares us from death. I can only imagine trying to put myself in the shoes of first century Christians, especially first century Jews, who had grown up partaking of the Passover feast yearly, hearing the stories of what happened that fateful night in Egypt, And how God led them out of bondage towards the promised land. And now they see, as John the Baptist referred to Jesus, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, take this cup. And say, you drink it in remembrance of me. And you think about the blood that I'm shedding And you think about the fact that it now spares you from the death and the bondage that sin represents. And it gives to you freedom. Can you see the connection that's being made? And can you see how, how understanding of the Passover and what it meant to those people and what it signified would just deepen the meaning of the Lord's Supper? As they think about the history of this feast throughout their lineage. And now they see the Lamb of God whose blood isn't freeing them from physical bondage, but freeing them from the bondage of sin. Whose blood isn't sparing them from physical death, but sparing them from eternal death. And now every first day of the week, not every year, but every first day of the week, they get together together. And they get to remember that. They get to think about what that means to them. What an amazing connection. I almost envy those first century Jews who, who, had, who had the Passover as part of their life and were able to just, just absorb everything that the Lord's Supper now meant to them as a Christian who has been freed from their sins by the blood of Jesus. 
Then back in Exodus chapter 12, perhaps one of the more intriguing aspects of both the Passover and the Lord's Supper in Exodus chapter 12 is the purpose behind both the Passover feast and our observance of the Lord's Supper today. In Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse number 14, So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Then skip down to verse number 25. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So with that in mind, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and see if there's any connection that can be made to the purpose behind the observance of the Lord's Supper in the same way that the people observed the Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse number 23, as Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth regarding the Lord's Supper, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So what was the purpose of the Passover feast for the people of Israel? It was to remember what the Lord had done for them. And it was also an opportunity for them to tell the future generations about what the Lord had done for them. And now we come to the pages of the New Testament. And we look at the instructions given in regards to the Lord's Supper. What purpose does it serve for us? To remember what the Lord has done. And verse 26 Proclaim his death until he comes. Can you see the connection that's being made? We observe the Lord's Supper every first day of the week for the same reasons that God wanted the people of Israel to observe the Passover yearly. To remember and to tell others about what God has done for them. And so every first day of the week when we gather together, there's a very, a very personal aspect to the taking of the Lord's Supper because we remember what Jesus' body and blood means for to us. We remember the sacrifice that he made for us. But it is also an opportunity for us to proclaim his death until he comes. So my children can watch us take the Lord's Supper 
And even at a very young age, they can remember, they can recognize why we're doing this. And we can talk to them about why we take the Lord's Supper and the purpose that it serves. It gives us an opportunity to share with generations to come what Christ has done for us. And again, can you just see how how a, a recognition, a knowledge, an understanding of the Passover feast deepens and broadens the depth of meaning for us today as we take the Lord's Supper? You see, as Jeremy talked about, there there are so many of these types and shadows that God presents to us and gives to us. And and he did so truly to help us, to help us better understand these things. To help deepen the meaning of what we do today as followers of Christ. And so it's incredibly important that when these types and shadows show up in Scripture, we, we utilize them. In the way that God wants us to, we allow them to help connect us to his people of old and connect us to him in a more deep and meaningful manner. It's truly a gift that he has given us as students of his word. It is an aid that he has provided to us to help us better understand what he would have us to do the types of people that he wants us to be, and even the reasons behind some of the things that he wants us to do. So as we close this evening, I want for just a moment to look back at this list, and I want you to think about your relationship with God. If you are a Christian, as you took the Lord's Supper this morning... Did you think about the freedom that is found in Christ? Did you think about the death that has been spared you because of the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God? Did you remember that sacrifice, and are you doing your part to tell generations to come about what Christ has done for you? I hope the answer to all of those are yes, but if not, hopefully this will challenge us. As we come together, if the Lord allows the world to stand, we'll come together next week and we will partake of the Lord's Supper again. And hopefully this will give you some things to think about as you do that. But also, if you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, I want you again to look at this list. Only now, I want you to look at it as if you're not one of God's children that the blood of the lamb wasn't over your doorpost. The blood of Christ that he shed for you for the remission of sins, you haven't yet come in contact with that blood. You haven't taken advantage of the gift, the free gift that he has given to you to have your sins forgiven. This this type, this shadow that he provides to us should be a very compelling reason to think about where you stand before God. He wants his blood to spare you from death. He wants his blood to free you from the bondage of sin. And the fact that we are here this evening is proof of his long-suffering 
of his patience and of his desire for everyone to come to him. And so the invitation is open to you this evening, if you're not a child of God, to come to him, to allow the blood of Christ to cleanse you of your sins, to be buried with him in baptism, and to rise up a new creature. If we can help you with any spiritual need this evening, please come to the front and let us know how as we stand and sing.